Imagine a society that so seeks out after truth and wisdom that when you go to the grocery store to buy your groceries, the cashier says to you, okay, that will be three nuggets of truth and wisdom today in exchange for the food that you are buying. In the Bible, we ought to, it tells us we ought to seek after truth and wisdom far more than silver and gold. It is worth far more. And today, what we are talking about is truth. So the question is, can you find truth? And if you can find show it when you see it, why is it that so many of you in this room would disagree about what truth is and people all over the world? And because it seems impossible to agree on what is truth, who should you trust when you're seeking out truth? Yourself? The philosophers, the scientists, the theologians, and should you give them that authority over you, and should you take that authority over others as the one who declares what is true? Or, if someone has a higher IQ than you, should they be the one who determines what is true? Or, if someone has researched a topic all of their life, should they be the one who is the authority of what truth is? And if you are depending on finding truth for yourself... When you find truth, how do you know if you've gone to the right place to find it? Or some of us might not even be worrying about truth. Maybe it just seems too impossible to find. Or maybe you're that mother that's there Googling, is the resurrection really true? While your child's screaming in the background and you say, I just give up. I can't figure this out. There's too much craziness going on in my life. But whether you like it or not, there is some truth that is resonating in the halls of your heart. And whatever that truth is, you are building your life around it. And then we take this big question of the day. Is truth relative? Can you determine truth for yourself and someone else determine their own truth? And can we be okay with that? The truth is just something that we pick it to be. The argument that I am making today is the ultimate place to find truth is in the Bible. We are in our series called The Gospel. This is actually our last week. I'm already mourning the loss of the series. If you have not listened through the series, go back and listen to it from the beginning. This is the 23rd week, so you've got a lot of listening to do. If you've missed one, go back and listen to it. And it could be good for you just to revisit this whole thing. Because what we're saying is that the gospel is good news. It's not advice, but it's news. And it's truth. It's news that the Bible in all that it says is true and right. So the gospel is truth. And it's a kind of truth that is the greatest truth you can find because it fills you with joy and wonder and amazement. So the Bible is the gospel. So as we're coming to a close in the series, I thought, what better way to end the series than by looking at the whole of it, the whole of the good news, the Bible itself. But while the Bible is good news, it is also not afraid to be honest with you. The Bible, it cuts you, but it also heals you. 
It breaks you, but it makes you more whole. It convicts you so that you will reach up for God, and it will throw you into raging seas so that those raging seas will then throw you into an island of paradise. And so when you hold the Bible, when you hold this in your hands, you're holding the stuff of eternity in your hands. You're holding what love is made out of here. You hold the stuff of raging justice. And you better be careful when you read it. Because if you read it with faith, it will change you to the core. So let's read about what this truth claims about itself. Let's read the truth about what the truth claims itself to be. So let me read this. Here's our verses. we got four verses today. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you heard it from us, and you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, that shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. And then the last one, 2 Peter 1, 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. All right, first point, the longing for truth. So why does Peter talk of these cleverly devised myths? It's actually pretty genius of what he's doing here. What he's saying is that deep within every single human being is a longing. And it's a longing to find truth, but it's a longing to find a truth that will bring us up to the mountain where all of the pleasures that we seek are found. All that we long for is found. And what Peter is saying is that if you keep on following truth, you will lead you to the ultimate fact upon the top of the mountain, Jesus Christ. But if you stop short of God, if you stop short of Jesus Christ, what's going to happen is you are going to settle for cleverly devised myths that have been created, but always seem to fall short. So every religion, every mythology, or every, every just really good story is attempting to fill a void that you have deep within you for a truth that will take you up to the top of the mountain and give you all the pleasures that you seek, all of your longings to be satisfied. In fact, what we're finding is that really what's going on with you is that every longing within you It's really just a longing for God. G.K. Chesterton said, the man that knocks on the door of the brothel is really just searching after God. And what he means by that is that you are made for intimacy. You're made for delight. You're made for pleasure. You're made for oneness with someone. And what we all ought to do is keep passing by the brothel, go up the mountain, and find the God who we long for. So, these cleverly devised myths are all like brothels that are trying to take us in, that are luring us in instead of going all the way up to the top of the mountain. 
The problem with these brothels, whatever they might be, is they always leave you with less money and alone. But the promise of Christianity is that up on the top of the mountain, you have a God who will never leave you or forsake you and will give you all the pleasures you seek in him. So what you got to see is that your longing for truth is more than just an intellectual exercise. It's a desire to find pleasure, satisfaction, to see the longings that you have deep within you that won't shut up satisfied. It's to find a real beauty that will captivate. Truth, when you seek it, what you're seeking is an authentic relationship that will make you feel like you aren't alone. You are seeking after a glory that will crush everything that is wrong with this world. And you're looking for a love that will tell you absolutely everything will be okay. So when you seek truth, it's not just intellectual. It's encapsulating everything about you and everything that you long for to be true. And so that means there is nothing more powerful than truth. And the Bible itself claims to be the ultimate truth. So, second point, the discovery of truth. You need truth, not just for a life well lived, but you need truth to quench your longings. What are the longings that the Bible claims it's satisfying? Well, there's a longing that you have to finally be rid of guilt and shame that has been haunting you for all of your life. And what the Bible promises is that the God, the God of the Bible, will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. The desire for the orphan wanderer to finally find a home with God is found in the Bible. The desire for a person who was bored with life to finally feel, full, feel fully alive is found in Bible. The desire for you to become what you've been created to be is found in the Bible. The desire for that power to find that is found in the Bible. The desire for eternity that starts now is found in the Bible. And everything else will fall short compared to the Bible. Our verse in Isaiah says that God's word will not return empty, but it will fulfill the purpose for which it was sent out. And what that means is the purpose for which it's sent out is to carry you, once it's deposited in you, to carry you past the brothel, to carry you past every temptation, to carry you past every love in your life that you have put above God, to carry you past those loves, straight up the mountain, into the arms of God, where everything you long for finally comes true. Every day, there will be brothels that you pass by. Persons, places, things, it will tempt you, and it will tempt to lure you in and say, come in, follow, come through the door, and everything you want will be found here. In Proverbs 9, this is a book, Proverbs is a book about wisdom in everyday life and truth. And in Proverbs 9 sets up some imagery for us to understand what the human life is like. What it says is there's a road before you. And on one side of the road, there's a house. And in that house, there are sweet aromas, things being baked to lure you in, your hunger, your spiritual hunger to be satisfied. Only in that house is Lady Folly. And when you enter that house, you find all those who are there are already in hell. 
And on the other side of the road is Lady Wisdom in her house, and she too bakes something sweet. The aromas are meant to fill, draw you in by these spiritual hungers. And if you go in that house, all of eternity is given to you and everything that comes with it is that truth and desire go together. They're hand in hand. And there are false promises that are being fed to you that promise heaven but give hell. And then there's this promise of Christianity that says you're already in the grips of hell. But there's one that the Bible speaks of, Christ, who has come into our world to release us from these powers so that we might enter into the mountain where God is. So practically speaking, this is about anything that you long for or love more than you love God. It's a good thing that you've made an ultimate thing that's now turned into a brothel because you've turned it into something greater than God. So when you say you're a Christian, but the truth of Christianity and the way you live aren't lining up, it's because you have a problem in your loves. You have this problem with love and desire and truth. And so what's the solution? Well, when you can't pass by the brothel, when the temptation is too strong for you with whatever it is, here's what the Bible's telling you to do. Open this up. Open it up and let it do what it's meant to do, which is to lead you past the brothel and go straight up the mountain into the arms of God. So the question you have to ask is, how do you know... That this, the Bible, God's word, the truth, will lead you past the brothel and actually give you desires that you have more so than the brothel would be able to. The way that you know that the Bible will do it is because the Bible tells you it will do it. The Bible is truth because it says it's truth. The Bible will deliver you because it says it will deliver you. The Bible is your help because it says it's your help. And now if that sounds circular to you, it sounds circular because it is circular. That's what happens when you find the ultimate truth. If you find the ultimate truth and it says, if you want to see if I'm the ultimate truth, go over here and ask this person or go talk to some king. Well, then that's assuming that the king has a greater authority than the word of God. But the word of God makes the claim that the king has no authority over the word of God, but the word of God rules the king. So, see the Bible as what it claims to be. God's very word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The Bible is saying it is the very word of God because it has nowhere else to go. You have reached the heights of authority. You have reached the heights of your search. There's nothing left for you to do but to arrive at truth and then ask truth what is truth. And truth says, I am. If I claim that I love my wife, Elise, she can take my word for it. And she could look at the way that I live, but, or she could go to a greater authority. She could open up the Bible and she can ask, what is love really? And then let what the Bible says love is measure me versus her measuring me. 
The Bible will put you to the test in every area of your life. It's weighing you, it's measuring you, and it is challenging you. That's probably why we don't read it as much as we ought. And if you fix your ultimate authority and your affections on something else other than the Bible, then what begins to happen is those things become your authority in life. Those things will tell you what truth is, and those things will tell you how to live your life. And then what's going to happen is your life's going to get all out of whack. Because things that are not God are claiming an authority over you that aren't meant to be claiming an authority over you. And you will give them, give yourself to them, and they will teach you how to live. Whatever you cherish most will become your ultimate authority. Now, that should be absolutely terrifying to you. Because we do this all the time. We substitute God for brothels, for jobs, for spouses, and for our kids, or anything else that it might be. And so if you make your spouse your God, your spouse is going to like it for a bit because they're going to feel like, this is what it feels like to be God. Oh, wow. I feel like I'm being worshipped right now. And then here's what's going to happen, though. If you are worshipping your spouse, you're going to have expectations of your spouse to give you what only God can give you. And you will begin to drain life from them. And they will never be able to live up to the expectations you have of them and vice versa. And so what looked to be so exciting eventually begins to feel very hellish, like you are in the house of folly. And that means your spouse has become your authority over what truth is. Now, you might not claim it, but the way that you live your life shows it to be true. Or, same thing with your kids. This should really terrify you. When you put kids as your greatest treasure in life, then they become your authority. Now, your kids can't even tie their shoes yet. They can't even go to the bathroom without you, yet they're dictating you how you should live your life. You're being crazy. So let's say you do make... Colton, are you coming up here to take my job? Let's say you make God your greatest authority in love. But here's what happens. You're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm doing it. God, you're at the top. And then what happens is other things start creeping up. And you say, oh no, it's happening it's happening again, and then God is creeping down the list. So what do you do? Well, you have to wrestle the, the things that have crept to the top down, and you have to wrestle with this to show yourself all the reasons why God should be back up at the top. And so, yes, while this is circular, it also understands us very well, and it understands that we are forgetful, we don't really fully trust God, and so we need to see reasons why we should put him back at the top. So watch what these, these Christians in Acts do. Acts 17.11 says, Now these Jews who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examining them. They were testing it. They were testing the truth to see all the reasons why they should put God back at the top of the list. Why Christ should be back up at the top. In Isaiah, God says, come, let's reason it out. In the book of Genesis, Jacob actually wrestles with God. And it's seen as a good thing, though a dangerous thing. So when you wrestle with truth, you need to understand what it is you're wrestling with. You're wrestling with God because God is the truth. Wrestle with what you know what it is that you're wrestling with. It is truth, so don't bend it. 
It is not meant to be bent. It is meant to bend you. And if you try to bend something that is unbendable, you will break. And as long as you wrestle with the Bible, you have to see that it's going to tell you things that you long to hear, and it's going to tell you things you don't want to hear. And if you only listen to half of it, you haven't properly wrestled with it. You haven't made it your greatest authority, and so you're going to fall short, you're going to stop wrestling it, you're going to throw it to the side, and it will never make you whole. Because you're under this crazy impression that everything God says, you're going to agree with. We can't even agree with each other. What makes you think that everything you believe, God's going to be like, yeah, right on. You got it. What am I here for, God says. Why don't you just come up and do my job? Whenever that happens, things go very poorly. And as you wrestle with it, you might wonder something. Why is this Bible so mean to me? Why does it keep saying these things about me? Well, because it's, it, can't, it, well, it can't be mean to you. It's just being honest. Truth shows no partiality. It does not care if you are rich or poor, young or old, man or woman. It does not care. Truth is simply truth. It weighs and measures you. You do not weigh and measure it. And when we are long gone from this earth and it is turned to dust, truth will remain. So, the Bible is mean because it is loving, if you want to call it mean. But it's being mean because it's being loving. You see, it starts telling you things about your depravity. It starts telling you things about your sinfulness. And it's telling you the bad news. I run you guys all out of I scared you all. It's telling you the bad news. Why? So that when you hear the good news, you will know that it's good news. The Bible says that we have been stiff-necked, stubborn, and prideful people, and the thing that we want most in life is to see the throne of God, remove him from it, and go sit there ourselves so we could rule and reign. And the Bible shows us this bad news that we have this really guilty, nasty record in the courtroom of God, and when he sees it, it's gross to him, the things that we have done. And the Bible tells us that we've got this heart that's made of stone and it's dark, And it's so dark that if God showed his face to us, we would figure out the best way that we could to remove him from the throne and kill him. I don't know, let's say something like a cross. And the Bible says our world is in the grips of hell and is being pulled into the pits of hell. But then comes the good news. And I'm going to attempt to summarize the last 22 weeks of this series of good news in just 2 minutes and 22 seconds. So, we wrote ourselves out of God's story, and he has come to write us back into it and write himself into our story. And as he did this, the way he did this was to come into a world that would reject him. And there in this world, he would take your sins, my sins, the sins of the world, and place them upon his shoulders. And then his father would look down upon him and crush him in our place because he's carrying sin, and by doing that, sin becomes dead. And then he's buried into death, but he punches a hole in death and breaks up out of it to do away with death and lay it in its own grave. And then he does something that people don't talk about enough. He ascends up to his throne in heaven, and he does something so important for you there. He sends his spirit to dwell within your heart so you might recognize truth and the truth of his promises 
and that they might be applied to you. So watch this. This is summary of everything. By faith, you become united to Christ in all that he's done. When he goes up to his throne, he sends his spirit to begin applying salvation to you. So the cross, the resurrection, this is him accomplishing salvation. The spirit is dwelling in you to apply salvation to you. What does that mean? It means a bunch of wonderful things. It means that though you rejected God and because of it now he's rejected you, that goes away and now you're chosen as God's beloved. It means that all this guilt and shame that you have for your sin, it means he's gone into the courtroom in your place and there he is crushed by the wrath of the Father coming down upon him instead of it coming on you. And then after that crazy thing happens, he takes his perfect record and he gives it to you. And now all the favor that the Father had for the Son is now given to you. How much does God love you? As much as he loves Jesus. You don't believe it? Well, you need to remind yourself of that truth again. Over and over and over again. And that's the stuff that'll put him up back up at the top of the list. And you who are lonely, you orphan wanderer, he's come so that you might have a house with God forever. That truth is being applied to you. You who are dead, we're the walking dead, we're like zombies, and Jesus comes to make us alive again. But not only just make us alive, he, he imports us into a new world while we are here in this world. Are you keeping up? And not only that, we are slaves to sin, to death in this world, and he comes to break those chains. All of these promises are being applied to you. And you, you don't know who you are. You don't know what you should do with your life, but he comes and tells you. And then he gives you the power to become who you're made to become. And then this deep longing within you to find, finally found the mount of God where all the pleasures you seek will finally be satisfied. He takes you up there with him forever in paradise. All of those truths must be discovered and known by faith. This is our third point, and it is so important you understand this. This is the necessity of faith. Once you reach the heights of where truth comes from, you have to make a faith decision. If you make the claim that there is no God, you can't prove it. You can only believe it by faith. If you make the claim that there is a God, you can't prove it. You can only believe it by faith. You will be forced when you reach up to the heights of truth to make a faith decision no matter what you believe. But faith is a powerful thing. Faith actually gives you eyes to see into the unseen. That's what the Bible says. If you want to see what's beyond this world, you have to see with eyes of faith. And St. Augustine helps us understand this a little bit better. He tells us, I believe so that I might understand. That means all of these beautiful promises, all these beautiful truths will never make sense to you until you believe that they're true. You will never have the eyes to see them and understand them, and you will never have the eyes to know God until you use faith and believe in the promises. You will never experience the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of knowing God, the pleasure of knowing God without faith. 
Because faith is what makes you pass by those brothels that are on the side roads, those things in your life that lure you in that say, come, there's nothing on the top of the mountain. There is no God. Come, all of your pleasures can be found here. All of your desires can be found here. All of your, your longings can be found here. No, you pass by because you have faith that there's something greater at the top of the mountain. But if you don't have faith in the brothel, faith in the Bible, the brothel will look like the best thing. It's true. If the Bible is not true, then we're like rats scurrying around trying to find something that's just going to deliver for us with this hunger that we need. We'll eat anything just to make us feel something like, oh, this is delivering finally. But we always leave the brothel with less money and alone. So we keep wandering. By faith, you will pass by this house of folly because you will smell something that is tricking everybody else, but to you it smells nasty because you understand that in the house of folly is death and there's a bunch of perfume covering it up. So you pass it by and you head up to the mountain and there you find that all the good news, it's all true. And even more of it, everything you wanted, is finally in him. And you meet him there on the mountain, and then what you find, you thought you found him, but what happened is he really found you. Because he left the mountain of heaven, and he came down into the brothel of this world. And he picked you up in the brothel, and you didn't want to go. And he took you out kicking and screaming, and he kicked the door open, and he started walking up the mountain. And you were trying desperately to get out of his arms, but he wouldn't let you go because he's a good shepherd king. So he carries you all the way up the top of the mountain, and he sets you down, and he said, Look, everything you want, here is my father. Meet him. Everything you wanted is in him. You will never make it to the top of the mountain. Come on, come on, come on, look at me, look at me. You will never make it up to the top of the mountain without him, Christ, because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Let's pray. Father, we cannot find truth on our own. We cannot trust ourselves to find truth, and we cannot tell, trust this world to tell us what truth is. We need you to show us what truth is. So show us now. And as we find it in you, show us that your word will not return to you empty, but will carry us with it. And we see, Jesus, that you are that very truth. You are the word made flesh. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's you in the truth, who carries us up. Our Savior, our King, our Shepherd, the one who lifts us to the heights of pleasure. This world always falls short, so open our eyes to see that is true. God, help us. We need you. We're too weak to find truth. Show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.